Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Billboard Charts. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital. Hello, Katie. It is Grammy week. Yay. It's a little, it feels different, but yes, it is. It is indeed Grammy week leading up to music's biggest night on Sunday. Yeah, normally uh, we would be uh, out and about covering a bunch of different live and in-person events uh, all across Los Angeles. And uh, nope, not happening. Still in my garage, everybody. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm still here in the living room. Um, but the, the show will go on and the Indeed. Grammys are this Sunday. And uh, we'll be talking all about the Grammys on today's episode. Because as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop. On Billboard's weekly charts, in addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, it's our annual Grammy Awards preview special, special, special. We'll be discussing what to expect from the show and how it could differ in execution from the past year's worth of pandemic-impacted award shows, how the big four categories, album, record, and song of the year, along with Best New Artist, might shake out, and if The weekend's snub, where he didn't get a single nomination this year, could be felt on stage or in the night's wins. Plus, we have a special interview with three-time Grammy winner, 15-time Grammy, including one for this week weekend show, Harry Connick Jr. He was on the show to talk all about his many, many, many Grammy nominations in the past and, and what it has been like for him to win previously. Plus, also, he has a brand new album, Alone With My Faith, coming out on March 19th, so stick around for that. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Before we get to the Grammy chat uh, on the charts this week, things are still steady as she goes on the Billboard 200 albums chart and the Billboard Hot 100 songs chart as Morgan Wallen's Dangerous, the double album, and Olivia Rodrigo's Driver's License continue to rule the lists respectively for eight weeks now each Mm. in total all in a row as for when either title might fall from the top well in terms of albums there are a few artists with a number one record a number one track record uh due to debut on the list in the coming weeks next week we'll see kings of leon's new when you see yourself hit the chart while in two weeks time both justin bieber's justice and Lana Del Rey's Kim Trails Over the Country Club will arrive on the chart. As for the Hot 100... Ooh, boy. <laughs> that was the craziest new music Friday ever last week. I have a feeling this could be a, a challenge to Olivia. Last Friday saw the release of Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic, the new super duo comprised of chart topper Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack, along with three, count them, three new songs from Drake, What's Next?, Wants and Needs featuring Little Baby and Lemon Pepper Freestyle featuring Rick Ross. One more thing. Justin Bieber released Hold On. Oh, right. Another Hot 100 uh, number one chart topper. And so, yeah, it, it, when I saw that it was Bruno Mars, Drake, and Justin Bieber, all with brand new songs, it seems like this is definitely the uh, toughest challenge that Olivia has faced in her eight weeks. That's for sure. I think Olivia might be driving away from number one next hey. week. Hey, and I, if I, no one asked for this prediction, but my money is on What's Next by Drake. 
it's uh it's definitely the one that is most reminiscent of his previous chart toppers uh definitely has like a god's plan vibe for sure um so it just feels to me like the one so the 2021 grammy awards are this sunday march 14th and they promise to be a Grammy show like no other, because <laughs> there are a lot of question marks hanging in the air about what this one's going to look like. And so to discuss this year's show, we're joined by our founding pop shopper, Jason Lipschitz, Billboard's Senior Director of Music. Hi, Jason. What's up, guys? Always happy to stop by the pop shop uh, Yes. In, in any form or fashion. Thanks for having me. And, oh. and- and and we can have you here when Katie isn't on maternity leave. So it's even yeah. Yeah, I don't just have to be off having a baby for Jason <laughs> to come on the show. <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> um, first, I think this is the first year that I haven't been at the Grammy show in some capacity since like 2009, maybe. Um, Jason, Katie, are either of you going to be at the physical show somewhere this year? I don't even know if there is a physical show, but I will be in the virtual press room. So not on site, except for in this office that I'm talking to you from right now. Yeah, and I will not be at the show unless the show is somehow taking place in suburban New Jersey. (laughs) Uh, If that is the case, then I will try to be there. But otherwise, uh, sadly not. Okay, well, we joke a little bit. It actually is going to be in multiple locations. There's going to be a location in Nashville. They're going to be at the Apollo Theater in New York. There's going to be uh, on site at the Troubadour here in Los Angeles. So in theory, I thought, oh, maybe Jason might go to the Apollo or something. Maybe they had a room there or Katie might go to the Troubadour. But evidently, no, we're not. No, actually. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say our our awards editor, Paul, asked like the specific question of whether there would be any sort of you know, civilians, non-celebrities, non-production crew uh, at any of the sites. And they were like, no, <laughs> none. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, so that's yeah. that's where we're at. Yeah, and just for me, it's, it's definitely a bummer because I love going out and seeing you guys in LA. Uh, I, I'm New York based. And so to not be in, in Los Angeles during Grammy week, seeing all the showcases, contributing to our coverage uh, in LA, uh, it's a bummer for me, but you know, it's it's that's how this past year has been. It, it was really strange. I was thinking about how last year uh, was the Grammys in which Kobe Bryant passed away, and mm-hmm. being like it, right near the Staples Center during all all that was just it was something I'll never forget. So to go from that uh, such a memorable moment to this this year where I'm I'm going to be on my couch in suburban New Jersey, <laughs> uh, typing away with the rest of our team on Slack. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a difference, but you know, that's, that's how it goes. And considering the unusual nature of the show, um, you know, obviously everything's going to be staged at different venues under social distancing. Uh, Jason, what do you think the best case scenario is for the show as far as its execution? Obviously they always refer to themselves as music's biggest night, but can they kind of, you know, claim that magic uh, of having all these big names in one room when they're doing it so scattered and staggered and distance this year? Yeah, I think that's what everybody is wondering what the best case of the Grammys looks like. I, I think obviously everybody, they, they announced the performers and everyone kind of figured that there was going to be a ton of big names. I also think that they were thinking about 
taking away some of the lessons from the American Music Awards and the MTV Video Music Awards and our own Billboard Music Awards, just in terms of that execution. I, I think the best case scenario is that there are still going to be uh, some sort of memorable collaborations or team ups or performances and showcases like that no matter where those performances happen, there will still be a lot of chatter, a lot of really memorable moments. And then obviously the awards taking place, get people talking. I, I think that that really is the, the best case scenario. And, and hopefully that, that plays out because not only do you have a lot of big stars performing, including you know Taylor Swift and BTS getting their first like full Grammy showcase, which is really cool, but then you also have those big names in, in the major categories as well. And, and a lot of people are gonna be interested to see, you know, can Dua or Taylor or Post Malone take album of the year, or is it gonna be one of those those dark horses that are they're competing against? It's 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 gonna be I think just to get that kind of chatter going, that's that's the best case scenario for the Grammys. This year's nominees are an interesting bunch. You know, Jason kind of hinted at that a second ago. We've got zero nominations for the weekend. And in response, the artist himself called the Grammys, quote, corrupt, and said that the organization owes him, his fans, and the industry, quote, transparency. Uh, meanwhile, there were some left field nominations in the big four categories, album, record, and song of the year, and best new artist, including a nod for album of the year to Jacob Collier for his DeJesse volume three album, which has yet to even chart on the Billboard 200, and that's the first time an Album of the Year nominee has never charted since 1961. So with all that said, Jason, what's the best case scenario for the big four winners here? And perhaps, you know, where the Recording Academy and the Grammys can kind of go from here with maybe lessons learned? Yeah, I, I think, I don't think there's one formula to how the big four winners could play out that, that would make everyone ecstatic. I, I think that there are a lot of really great outcomes because there's a lot of really deserving artists and projects. And I know you can say that every year, but it does really feel like particularly this year, you know, obviously there were some left field nominations. And I, I think that if something like Coldplay gets wins album of the year for everyday life, that would be really strange. And people would be a little bit up in arms in, uh, about that album, which I actually think is pretty good. But I think that more likely you have Dua Lipa kind of being coronated as this as this huge new pop artist, or you have Taylor Swift winning album of the year for the third time and really cementing her legacy as one of the, the biggest artists of all time, if she hasn't already done so in, in some people's eyes. Or you have Post Malone, um, who's just been knocking out hit after hit and been nominated now for record of the year for the third straight year, finally winning one for Circles, which was one of the, the biggest hits in recent memory. And then also, you know, you have Beyonce in play. You have someone like Megan Thee Stallion. I, I would love to see her win uh, Best New Artist. Or you also have Phoebe Bridgers. I, I think that there are so many different outcomes. I think that as long as the big four don't go to the real, all go to the real left fields artists and projects. And you know, then that may happen in one of the categories and in, in terms of just like a real shocking result. But as long as they don't all kind of fall that way, I think I think the Grammys will be fine. I think you mentioned Dua Lipa too. Um, the fact that she won Best New Artist a few years ago, it's like they set up this narrative and now if she were to win Album of the Year, it's like, oh, look at what a great choice we made for Best New Artist. Yeah. So, and I think that that really is why she she stands to to win at least one of those 
big th uh, three, big four awards that she's up for just because exactly because of that narrative. Dua Lipa has a, like, she has a really high popularity rating right now. Like people really like Dua Lipa. She's family friendly. Uh, she's compelling. She's, she's making the, the biggest music of her career thus far. And in terms of that kind of payoff, uh, betting on her as best new artist a couple of years ago and now delivering you know this this huge critically acclaimed and, and successful album i could i could definitely see her winning album of the year or record or song of the year any one of those three do we think that the weekend is going to be acknowledged in any way on sunday or are we i mean the fact that it's not super duper live might help them not mention the weekend but i don't know what do you guys think I think absolutely not. Yeah. And I, I think I think that it's in well the the closest analog I can I can think Trevor, of is when by the way Trevor Noah looks a little bit like the weekend recently because of his <laughs> hair style. So just saying maybe That's he, fair. he makes a a, 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 a yeah. he he might make a joke that could be appropriate. I don't know. You are correct that I was not thinking about it from a Trevor Noah standpoint, uh just in terms of having a comedian, because it's been a minute since we had a comedian host the Grammys. It's been LL Cool J for a while and then Alicia Keys after him. So yeah, there definitely might be a, a weekend joke in there. In terms of any other acknowledgement, no. I mean, the closest analog I can think of is when Ed Sheeran uh, was shut out of the big four. And even, you know, he just didn't really appear on the telecast at all, even though he won a couple pop Grammys that night um, for Shape of You and, and Divide. But I think that the fact that the weekend's not nominated at all, unless, yeah, Trevor's Trevor. You're right that I, I wasn't thinking about Trevor Noah, but uh, other than that, I, I don't think we'll hear his name. Um, lastly, Jason, Katie, what performances are going to be the ones to watch, and what surprises do you both forecast for the show? Because I would like to say that there have been rumblings that Beyonce might turn up and perform with Megan Thee Stallion and do Savage. Haim and Taylor Swift are both going to be there. They have a song together now. Would that be interesting? So what are you guys looking forward to and what do you think might be a surprise? If they have Beyonce locked in, they would have said so, I think, when they made the quote-unquote final lineup announcement on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So I think they don't have her locked in right now. So it's, it is a possibility that she will surprise, uh, you know, and pop up or whatever. But I, I really think that they don't have her yet. So we'll see. But um, I was most excited looking at the full list, um, how many first time performers there were. Um, I think half of the performers are first time Grammy performers, according to Paul's article. And um, I am really excited for um, Harry Styles, uh, for sure, because I just wonder what he's going to do with that stage, um, especially after seeing how interesting his uh, music videos have been lately. Um, Bad Bunny, I think, is going to be amazing making a Grammy debut. Um, obviously, Jason mentioned BTS. Like, you know, we don't, I, I think that they're in Korea, so I'm not sure what they're going to do from there and what venue they will be um, coming from. So that'll be interesting. And my final person that I'm really looking at is um, Doja Cat, just because her performances have been bonkers this year, this past whole year, as she's, you know, been performing um, after, you know, getting her first number one on the Hot 100 last year. And uh, so I think that the Grammy stage being the biggest one, it's like she's probably been working up toward this last thing, which means she'll go even bigger for this one than she has yet. So those are my answers. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I, I was going to definitely say Doja Cat. She's just been phenomenal when it comes to these award show performances, especially considering a lot of them have been uh, performed virtually. Yeah, I, you mentioned 
Taylor Swift and Haim, both uh, Album of the Year nominees, not only do they have Nobody No Crime together, but Taylor on the remix of Gasoline, I, I need that performance. I need the joint Nobody No Crime Gasoline remix performance. I need it so bad. I'm putting it out into the universe. <laughs> come on, Haim. Come on, Taylor. Let's do it. Uh, in terms of surprises, I... I do think that there's going to be a really unlikely winner in the big four. And I, I don't know which one yet, but I think that there are, you know, you, you look at album of the year and could a Janae go pull it off with a really great album. Could Jacob Collier, who I, I, I wrote a profile of Jacob and the industry loves him, even though this album didn't hit the billboard 200 chart or, and, and then you also look at best new artist. I think, a lot of people see Megan Thee Stallion and Doja Cat, but, you know, Phoebe Bridgers has a ton of love in the industry. Could a Chica win? Could D-Smoke, who was a shocking nomination, somehow pull it off? Like, I, I think that there will be at least one, like, whoa moment when it comes to the big four. I had forgotten that Noah Cyrus was nominated for Best New Artist until I just re was reading an article today. And um while I love her she's not super new to many of us um but also I feel like you know the Grammys love like a you know a family story as well so Noah's interesting in that front like they've known her dad and her sister for so long that she's got a lot of name recognition Billy Ray Cyrus and Noah Cyrus both now best new artist nominees Miley not not so much sadly. that's weird yeah <laughs> Yeah, also Whitney Houston wasn't nominated for Best New Artist back in the 80s off of a technicality because she had released a duet with someone the previous year and that rendered her ineligible for Best New Artist. So as we've as it's we a know, weird earlier, category. Grammys are weird. Weird things happen every year at the Grammy Awards, and that's the only thing you can count on at the Grammys. Weird things. Hey, they <laughs> expect the unexpected. Um well, Jason, thank you so much for joining us as always. Um and we will all collectively, the listeners and us, look forward to seeing what the Grammys look like on Sunday. Yeah, thank you guys for having me uh, back in the pop shop. I, I, I wish I was there uh, with you guys in LA, but I will be there in spirit. Uh, and then there's always 2022. 2022 Grammys. Even if you were here with us, you would still be with us in spirit because we can't get together. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hey. Don't tell my heart. And now it's time for our interview with Harry Connick Jr. We asked the three-time winner and 15-time Grammy nominee to be our special guest for the Grammy preview episode so we could talk all about his Grammy history, whether or not he still gets excited on nominations day, and just kind of thinking back to his previous experiences at the Grammys in the past. And it was perfect timing as well because he has a brand new album coming out on March 19th. It's his first faith-based album. It's called Alone With My Faith. So Keith and I talked all about how he put that one together completely during the pandemic and literally did everything but mix and master it himself. So we're talking harmonies and instruments and arrangements and, of course, singing and piano, all done by the man himself. So here's our interview with Harry Connick Jr., in olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking. But now God knows anything goes. Good authors too. Who once knew Hello to Harry Connick Jr. and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. 
Great to be with y'all today. Really appreciate it. So you are the guest for our special pre-Grammy episode because in addition to being a three-time winner and a 15-time nominee, you are nominated at this year's show for Best Traditional Pop Vocal Album. Um, yeah, I'm wondering, does this ever get old or are you still just as excited to hear your name on nomination morning? Oh, I can't, I can't believe it. You know, cause I'm not really thinking about Grammys when I'm recording, but when Grammy time comes around, I think we all think about that and yeah. you know, what, what an incredible thrill and honor it is. And so, yeah, no, I, I can't, you know, I pinch myself. It's a, it's a really big deal. You know, the crazy thing is you won at your first two Grammys, uh, winning best jazz vocal performance male in both 1990 and 1991. Did part of you think you were just going to pop in and pick up a Grammy every year since you had this like right out of the gate, incredible experience? So the second half of that sentence was, so you, you received two Grammys early on and then it was like a 30 year drought. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> no, you know, I, no, not, not at all. I mean, I, again, you know, when, when I go in the studio and make, make uh, music, I just, do the best I can, and then and and if it's if it's recognized or acknowledged, awesome. Um, and if it's not, that's that's okay too. It reminds me of uh, somebody. I guess Beyonce released an album a couple of years ago, and she didn't tell anybody about it, or nobody knew about it. And they said Beyonce released an album that nobody knew about. I said I've been releasing albums that nobody knows about for years. <laughs> <laughs> There's video of you winning your second award for We Are In Love, but I couldn't find any video for your first win. Were you at the the first Grammy ceremony in 1990 when you won? Yeah, <laughs> Do you I know? So. I, think, <laughs> I think so. Gosh, it was so long ago. I can't remember. I remember being there for the one you mentioned. Yeah. Maybe because there is no video of that other one that I, maybe I wasn't there. I can't remember. Do you have, like, what's your earliest memory of being at the Grammys and, like, kind of what that big scene was like? Probably um, in, I guess it was 91 when I did that uh, album, We Are In Love. Um, I, yeah, I was like, it's, it was just, you know, you have to understand that, that, you know, that was before cell phone, social media. I mean, there were like three or four ways to get your music out there, TV, radio, like billboards and print. And uh, so it, it had a um, an excitement about it that is different today because now, you know, you see everything behind the scenes and everything's so immediate and maybe more casual, but then it was like, it was like the biggest night in the world, you know? So it felt, just felt a little bit different. I remember that. Um, and you are nominated this year for True Love. And even though it's a, a Cole Porter covers album, it really feels like a Harry Connick Jr. album of your originals really, because the way of you, you interpreted and arranged these songs. Do you think that that's because you were, able to really make these your own or because Cole Porter has been such an inspiration or a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, he, you know, he was an amazing songwriter. And the great thing about great songs and great songwriters is there's a, an, an inherent architecture built into these songs. So you could take a, a song like Mary Had a Little Lamb and you could have, you know, the, the you know, any, any band in the world perform it, you'd still know it was that song, um, Cole Porter songs are like that. So I think starting from that place of great songwriting, um, you know, it allows me to interpret them how I want to. And, and uh, just by virtue of my being me, they're gonna sound probably different than other folks' arrangements. Well, you're about to release your next potential Grammy nominee on March <laughs> 19th, um, your new album, Alone With My Faith. Uh, this album was conceived of and recorded during lockdown. So you put it together almost entirely on your own. Uh, can you talk about how the idea for the album 
um, how it came up and when you just started buckling down and, and making the whole thing? Yeah, so I was on tour um, just about a year ago and mid-March tour got canceled and the whole world kind of shut down and I came home and was, you know, locked down and wondering what was going to happen. And um, I, I wanted to make some music. So I started writing music and thinking about music that comforted me. And I found that a lot of the music that I was writing uh, had to do with my faith or maybe even lack thereof sometimes. And so I recorded one song, I wrote another song and recorded it. And, and I started to say, wow, this, this could be kind of a, a snapshot of, you know, what I and maybe a lot of other people are going through. So that's kind of that's kind of how it started. And it took about probably eight months to record the whole thing. Wow. And people, of course, know you as a singer and a piano player, but you played all the instruments here. Um, I'm wondering specifically with the organ, because uh, it's so prominent on the album, is that is it a keyboard with an organ setting? Or are you actually playing like a big old pipe church organ in your house? Like what, what, what were you doing you there? That. So it's not a, a pipe organ, but it's called a, there's a, a few different organs that I have at home. Um, and it's called a Hammond organ. And it's a real organ like they play in church. And what was important to me is that I didn't use any what they call soft synths. I didn't have a little MIDI keyboard and pick an organ sound and a bass sound. Every instrument you hear is an actual real instrument. The trumpets, the saxophones, guitars, bass, drums, all of that stuff is, is real. Even the electronic instruments are real synthesizers and electronic instruments. So that was important for me to give it the, the kind of sound that it has. And were these all instruments that you played and already knew how to play, or was there anything that you picked up during quarantine as a new instrument? Well, the no, not really. The the the, the most recent instrument is called a harpeggi. It's a um, it, it's it's like a, a Georgia. Can you hand it to me? Or so I'll show I'll show you what it is. It's it's really neat, and I use it all over the record. It's like a it's a it's a new instrument in the last ten years made by this family in Maryland. This husband and wife and their kids make it. And uh, it's really cool. That's why I'm showing it to you. Awesome. It's pretty, it's pretty neat. Thanks, Paul. This is um, this is a harpeggi. Wow. And, yeah, and so it's like a backgammon board with strings. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um, these white squares are the white notes on a piano. So that's C D E F G A B, and then it repeats. And the black notes, the black squares are the black notes. And you can play chords with it. You can do vibrato with it. You can hook it up to any kind of amp or reverb and make it sound like, wait, is that a guitar? Is that a keyboard? What is that? So wow. this was, I've played this for, I don't know, a year and a half, two years. So th this is one of the more recent instruments, but um, nothing, nothing was completely new. Wow. Um, well, how did you choose which, uh, you know, gospel standards you were going to cover and, and why did you want to lead the project with Amazing Grace? Um, I didn't choose to lead it with Amazing Grace. So after I finished the album, I gave it to the record label and this is where they're experts. So they pick, I said, you can pick whatever you want. I'm happy to sing whatever you want. So they picked Amazing Grace, but Amazing Grace obviously was one of the songs. And I just picked songs that I kind of popped into my head. How Great Thou Art, Old Rugged Cross, uh, Be Not Afraid, Old Time Religion. These are just songs that I said, wow, these might be cool on the album. So I just picked ones that I liked. And when I had enough music for the album, I stopped. I could have kept going. I mean, there's so many great songs. Your daughter, Georgia, uh, you know, directed the Amazing Grace video and shot the album cover as well. Um, she's a photographer and a director. So it must have been you know, pretty convenient to have someone in your bubble <laughs> to help with those aspects of the project. I can't even tell you. So I'm real close to my family and Jill and I have three daughters and 
Georgia, as you mentioned, is a director and a photographer, and she shot the album cover, she shot the video, um, directed it, edited it, picked the locations, talked to the mayor of, what town was it, Georgia? Derby. Derby, Connecticut. Uh, she's filming me right now. Um, and, you know, got the fire marshal and, and made sure we had the right permits to shoot there. So, I mean, as a father, it was amazing. And as an artist, you know, to collaborate with, well, first of all, to collaborate with anyone during the pandemic was a thrill, but to collaborate with somebody as brilliant, you know, and, and sort of artistically full of life as Georgia is, was really, really awesome. That's great. And you have some originals, of course, on the album too, um, including the title track and uh, all these miracles, which is just unbelievably pretty. Um, the oh, vocal thanks. on that. Yeah, it really, first the vocal on it. First person that, because the album's new. So, you know, people haven't really heard it. So nobody's mentioned that song. I, I, I'm glad you like that. Yeah, and I the vocal on it really kind of reminded me of your vocal on some of your most like romantic love songs. But of course, oh. there's a lot of love in spiritual music too. So it makes sense. So what inspired you to uh, to write that one? Well, all these miracles is about my stopping to recognize things that we may not recognize as miracles. I remember we were just talking about Georgia when she was like a year and a half or two, uh, I was going to take her to the park and we got into the driveway and there was gravel in the driveway. And you know how kids squat down with their bottom, like kind of touching the ground. It, she, she did. And she picked up a piece of gravel. And she was looking at it. And I'm like, come on, Georgia, we're going to the park. Let's go. And I was kind of impatient. Come on. She was ignoring me and just looking at this little pebble. And it kind of occurred to me like that's she's never done that before. Like she's never seen that before. And there's a lot of miracles around us. And they're not just miracles. They're actual. They're, if you believe that, and I do, they're, they're really miracles. And, 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 I, and I try to be present and aware of that as much as I can. And um, the harmonies and background vocals on here are especially fascinating because, again, they're all you. Um, and a song like uh, God in My Gospel, it sounds like just like a Harry Connick choir, basically. <laughs> and um, did you change your vocals at all when you had to kind of stack up different parts or you wanted certain sounds in the background? You usually musician? you're dealing with, what's that? Are you a musician? My mom's a voice teacher. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's not like your normal, you know, you're talking about stacking vocals. And <laughs> Yeah, so that, that, that's an interesting song to pick. So, so there's a there's a the first half of the song, the background vocals are very very thick, and 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 intentionally kind of sound like a robot because that, that's what I was going for. But at the end, it sounds like maybe more of a choir. And yeah, like your voice changes. Like when when you're singing some of the bass parts, it's maybe a little exaggerated. When you're singing some of the super high parts, because you don't want every part to sound exactly the same. Right. So sometimes I would you know, change the shape of my mouth or change the pronunciation a little bit just to make it sound more more diverse. But like at the end, that, that happens so quickly. Like you sing one part and then you sing it again and sing it again. So you got three of that part and you just keep adding and adding and adding and adding before you know it, there's like 30 parts and you're like, oh, okay, that, that was, let's move on, it's fun. And um, for How Great Thou Art specifically, I've, I've seen you perform that one live before, but is this the first time that you've ever recorded it? Yeah, I think I think so. Um, I've never I've never put it on an album, and I, I just um, I don't know. I, I said, well, you know, how great thou art. You know, what is God's art? It's the rolling thunder. It's the stars, and it's also maybe some New Orleans piano. You know, He created all of us, and you know, let me just do it this way, and and that's kind of the way it felt. So the whole album was just done based on 
the, the purest feeling I had and, and, you know, what would that sound like musically? You know, Katie brought up uh, seeing you live and, you know, even though we're not quite back into the world of performing yet, um, have you been thinking about how you want to perform these songs live? You know, you could get a full choir and band and, and totally reinterpret them, you know, with a group where you could go the Ed Sheeran route with just a loop <laughs> pedal and set up all your backgrounds and instruments and be a one-man band. Have you, have you been thinking about this and conceptualizing it in your head at least? Not really, only because those are the kinds of things that really don't take long to figure out. I mean, um, any of those options would be a lot of fun. Maybe there'll be some op opportunities to play solo and kind of loop everything, which is really fun to do. Or, you know, maybe it's some event where they happen to have a, you know, 40 member choir there and I would teach the choir the parts. And so it's everything in between. I haven't really thought about it, but that'll be fun when the time comes to figure out, you know, like how would I present this album on stage? I I'm almost positive it wouldn't be by myself only because like, there's better bass players than the way I played bass and there's better trumpet players than the way I play trumpet. So. There's a lot of good musicians out there. I could use their help. And this is the first time that you've put out, you know, a specifically faith-based album. And as you say in your personal note announcing the project, you hope that it could resonate with people of all faiths since we've all been through these arduous times together. Um, do you think that it can also resonate with your fans who maybe don't think of themselves as people of faith at all? Well, yeah, I hope so. You know, I don't really spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. My, my deepest hope is that people will listen to it no matter what. And there's, you know, I have friends who are atheists. They don't really believe in the concept of faith or God. Um, and I'm thinking about a couple of them in particular who might enjoy this album just for the music. And then there's other people who are Christians who I think will be able to resonate with some of the Christian songs. And, I, you know, I think of my Hindu friends and, you know, Buddhist friends and all of these different faiths. And I think there's something on them, on their, for, for them too. So, Although I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, I would hope that it could resonate with people, you know, beyond the Christian faith. We so appreciate your time today. Uh, good luck on the album release. Can't wait for everyone else to hear it and also at the Grammys uh, next weekend. Thank you all both so much. I really had a good time. Thank you. Thanks. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Thank you so much to Harry for being our guest. Uh, Keith knows that I am a super fan, and so it was such a thrill to be able to talk to him for the first time. Um, of course, we didn't uh, convey to him just how embarrassing of a fan I am, but uh, hopefully he appreciated my questions that came from so much, a lifetime of, of love for Harry. So thank you so much for being our guest. Well, now it's time for the chart stat of the week. This is kind of a Grammy-specific, Grammy-focused chart stat of the week. I'm going to full disclosure here. It's, it's a little light on the chart stat, but uh, we'll get there in a second. At the Grammy Awards in 1984, it was all about Michael Jackson. The King of Pop went into the 26th annual ceremony, which was held on February 28, 1984, with the most nominations ever at a single show, 12. And that record has only been tied once by Babyface, who also snared 12 nominations at the 1997 show. Jackson was basking in the glow of the monster success of his number one Billboard 200 album, Thriller, 
and its numerous hit singles, including the Hot 100 number ones Billie Jean and Beat It, which were both up for numerous awards that year and nominated against one another for Song of the Year. By the end of the ceremony, Beat It took home the Record of the Year trophy, while Thriller won Album of the Year, and Jackson ended up with eight awards that night. That marked the most ever Grammys won in a single night by an artist, and so far, no one has ever won more than eight in a single night. Only Santana would tie that record later with eight wins in 2000. Notably, of Jackson's 12 nominations at the 1984 show, four were in two categories, as he was a double nominee in Song of the Year for Beat It and Billie Jean, and a double nominee for Best Rhythm and Blues Song for Wanna Be Startin' Something and Billie Jean. In the latter category, he lost to himself as Billie Jean took the prize. The only categories Jackson didn't win that year were Song of the Year and Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with a Vocal. In the latter category, he was nominated for The Girl Is Mine with Paul McCartney. Katie, to keep this a chart stat-related chart stat of the week, mm-hmm. we're going to play a round of Quiz Katie. Oh, and, man. And the hints will be charts-related. Okay. So, can you guess the acts that won over Jackson in both Song of the Year and Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocal. And I'll give you three hints first. Okay. So hold your hold your answer until I've given you the three hints. Got it, got it. Play along at home, folks. Hint number one. The songwriter who won Song of the Year is the lead singer of the group who won Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocal. And... The song that won both categories was the first Hot 100 number one for either the songwriter or the group. That's hint number one. Hint number two. The track that won in both categories was the only number one for the group, and it spent eight weeks at number one in 1983. Hint number three. The lead singer of this act is a friend of the podcast, And topped the Hot 100 later on as a soloist just once so far by way of a superstar collaboration in the mid-1990s. So with those three hints, Katie, take a guess. Threw a a lot of stuff on there. Like I was was leaning, there were two different directions I was leaning based on your hints, and I know neither of them is right. So I will just say them out loud that... When you're talking about like a singer and a group, I was thinking about Lionel Richie and the Commodores. And also I was thinking about Lionel Richie uh, co-writing We Are the World and wondering if that had anything to do with it. But of course, Michael sank on that. He probably would have won for that. Anyway, you were close. I also the following year, though, Lionel Richie did win album of the year for Can't Slow Down. So OK, not not too crazy. And then then when you said group and then solo hit made me think of Stevie and Fleetwood Mac because you said it was a friend of the podcast. But no. That doesn't match everything else either. No. So I'm really focused in on this friend of the podcast aspect. Um, I'll give you another hint. They were yeah. a guest on, uh, like, uh, within the past year or so, maybe? Oh, in the past year. Yeah, actually, it was Oof. early last year, I will say. And they were on before that as well, multiple times. Whoa. They've been on the show, I think, three times. 
three times and they beat Michael Jackson. <laughs> Song of the year. What? This is getting real long here. Let me just tell you. I guess so. Well, I will. I, can I have one more hint? He, uh, he, it's a he. How about that? Staying in the police. That is correct. Yes. Woo. Uh, every Breath You Take won Song of the Year, which Sting wrote, and Every Breath You Take also won Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group. I have to say, like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking the fact that, like, that's actually a, a reasonable thing to win for Song of the Year over Michael Jackson, which is saying a lot, especially yeah. 1984 Michael Jackson. So there you have it. Uh, at the 1984 Grammy Awards, Michael Jackson ruled the night almost entirely thanks to his chart-topping album Thriller and its massive Hot 100 hit singles. Every breath you take and every move you make Every bond you break All right, that, that chart stat ran a little bit longer than I thought it was going to. I mean, it's our supersized Grammy special preview, so, you know, the, show, people want, the people want a little bonus content, you know? Sure, sure. <laughs> Um, any parting words? Uh, we've already talked about what we're going to be looking forward to on the Grammys this Sunday. I don't know. I mean, it'll be it'll be uh, curious to see how this show pans out. Yeah, and I'm if excited. It looks like a real show. There have been so many different awards shows now put on during this time, and they've all taken a lot of different directions and and angles. And so I'm I'm curious to see how the Grammys the Grammys do it their way. All right. So what song should we go out on? Oh my gosh, so many choices. Man, maybe maybe a big uh, nominee this year. What do you think? Maybe can we just do Dua Lipa? Don't start now. <laughs> Friend of the podcast. Why Dua mess Lipa? around? Um, all right. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Don't show up.